are we doing today? Doing pretty well? Doing well? Some of you guys are a little uh, Thanksgiving feast hangover, perhaps. Um, but uh, my name is Pastor Doug Ingram. I'm the worship pastor here at FAC. I oversee our music teams, our worship teams here. And oftentimes you see me on the front half of this service, standing behind a guitar, leading worship. And I can already see the perplexed look on some of your faces, wondering why they would ever let the guitar guy preach a sermon. Okay? Well, let me let you in on a little secret. Okay? So Thanksgiving, it's Thanksgiving week. And... Thanksgiving is typically the most, is the busiest travel week of the year. And good, even mediocre pastors are in short supply. So they put me up here. You're stuck with me. Sorry, not sorry. Okay? But with God's help, we're going to make it through this together. And I really am excited to open up God's Word with you and to share the Scriptures with you here this morning. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know I sure did. Uh, my wife tells me I have, I'm developing what's called a dad gut. I know you can't see it from here. I wore black to make myself look a little bit slimmer. But uh, she says I have what's called a dad gut. And, you know, for a while I was like kind of offended that she would tell me. Like, hey, I don't have a dad gut. I look good. I'm svelte. Okay? Uh, but... Let me tell you, this past Thursday, I was very grateful for my dad gut because it allowed me to pack in a little bit more casserole, a little bit more turkey. And uh, it was just a great day of food, family, and giving thanks. This was a very special Thanksgiving for me. Uh, one reason was because the Dallas Cowboys won a football game, which I was very grateful for as a Cowboy fan. And it's all right. I hear your boost. It's okay. Uh, but and, uh, uh, seriously, well, not seriously, but kind of. I was almost feeling like the fact that the Cowboys won a Super Bowl, or a Super Bowl, that's, talk about a miracle from God, that's like not even like real possibility. Won a football game was, I was starting to equate that as a modern day miracle of God. That would even happen. Um, but more importantly, I was really especially grateful because my parents, uh, they were here last night. They came in for the week and spent some time with uh, my wife and I and our kids. And they're from West Palm Beach, Florida. And it's really great to have them here uh, with us. And I was able to Grateful that they were here last night to be able to be in the service and uh, hear me preach. And so it's really special for me. Well, go ahead and grab your Bible, grab your phone, your device uh, of some kind, and pull open your favorite Bible app. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It's about halfway through the New Testament, if you're looking for it in your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Then we come to Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. If you've been around FAC at all uh, this year, you've heard us talk a lot about the word develop. That is our word for the year as we have been learning about how we can grow our relationship with God and become more developed, more committed, more devoted uh, followers of Christ. So in the spirit of thanksgiving, uh, this sermon is entitled Developing Your Gratitude. Developing Your Gratitude. And where we're going, the big idea in this sermon today is that genuine gratitude is rooted in contentment. Genuine gratitude is rooted in contentment. So Philippians 4 is we're going to be hanging out today. And it's important to me that you do have a Bible or a device with the Bible on it or some kind so you can see for yourself through the scripture that what I'm sharing with you today is not something that I made up. It's not my opinion on something. But what we're talking about today, what I'm preaching to you, uh, is directly from God's word. We believe that this is the inspired word of God. And my opinion, my thought— uh, own thoughts uh, or something I made up would not be helpful to you at all. But what will be helpful to you and to me is if we can see in Scripture, learn something from God's Word that we can apply to our lives that may change us from the very inside out and help us become more devoted followers of Christ for Him. So Philippians 4, 10 through 13, and I'm going to be reading out of the CSB, Christian Standard Version of the Bible. That's what's going to be on the screen as well. And it says this, 
Apostle Paul speaking, says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather here in this place and worship your holy name. I pray right now, Lord, that it would be your Holy Spirit speaking through me. Lord, that you would teach us something from your word that can draw us closer to you and help us to live for you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So not only was Thanksgiving uh, this past Thursday, but what would really Thanksgiving be, especially in 2018 America, if it wasn't followed by the wonderful holiday the day after called Black Friday. And I know for many of you, it's a a holiday. You're probably ready to mark that off your work calendar, uh, even maybe before Thanksgiving. Um, And if for some crazy, insane reason you ever wanted to see firsthand the horrible, rotten, sinful nature of human beings, just go to Walmart at like midnight on Black Friday, and you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll know what I'm talking about. Thanksgiving is always interesting to me because, you know, Thanksgiving Day is like this wonderful, holy, special day we can celebrate friends and family and what the Lord's given us and be grateful and go around the Thanksgiving dinner table and share what we're thankful for and just get along and have a nice day. But then something interesting happens like Thanksgiving night around like 6 p.m., 7 p.m. Pumpkin pie is almost all gone. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is playing in the background. You're like crashed out on the couch. Uncle Bob's like starting to get on your nerves a little bit. And you're just like, I got to get out of this house. I'm going to go do some shopping. So you go out for shopping, you brave the crowds, and six hours later, you're getting carted out by Target Security because you punched a guy to get that coffee maker for 30 bucks that was on sale for $25 just to save five bucks. It's really crazy if you've ever seen it or witnessed that. So my wife and I, we braved the stores as well, did a little Christmas shopping. And I was reminded of what I'm reminded really every Black Friday and holiday season as Christmas time approaches is that this season of the year should be a time where we give thanks to the Lord, remember what he's done for us, live a life of gratitude, of giving, giving gifts, thoughtfulness, and most of all, praising the Lord for the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But oftentimes what happens is we get caught up in the consumerism of Christmas or this mentality of I just need this or need that thing or if I get this present on Christmas Day, I'll be so happy. I'll be complete. I'll be content. Or we tell ourselves, man, if I just had this person's job or this much money or that thing or this other existence or life, then I would truly be happy. And we can run ourselves ragged trying to obtain this happiness and lasting joy and contentment and anything of the world that doesn't truly satisfy us while ignoring the one person that can truly bring peace and contentment and wholeness to our life. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. So this theme of contentment is where we're going to be headed in our sermon today. And my prayer for you and me, really, is that the truth of Scripture, the truth of God's Word, would jump off the page and into our hearts, and that we would be changed by the power of God's Word through the Holy Spirit, and that we would learn how to be free and learn true contentment in Jesus Christ, how to bring lasting freedom and joy forever and ever. 
So let's dig in here. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. Who's he talking to here? Well, he's talking to the church in a town called Philippi, which was in the region of Macedonia. This is the first century uh, Greco-Roman world. And many people who occupied the area of uh, Philippi was a farmer, a servant, some kind of service worker. And there's about ten to 15,000 people roughly uh, estimated that, that lived in Philippi in this time. And so with these kind of occupations, a lot of the people that lived in that city were not well off. They didn't have much, and they weren't well to do. But they loved the Lord. Paul came. He planted a church in the town of Philippi. It was actually the first Christian church ever established on the continent of Europe. And so that's who he's writing to. Uh, It's apparent from the scripture, from these four chapters in the book of Philippians, that they loved him very much, and they really loved Paul, admired him, and had a strong affinity for him. And he did them as well, and loved them, and cared for those people as well. So as the text says, they were concerned with Paul's well-being, meaning that they were concerned for him and his mission that he was on of planting churches, of spreading the gospel, and devoting his life uh, to teaching people about Jesus and making disciples. And they wanted to serve him. They wanted to help him in his ministry by supplementing him financially uh, to help support his needs and to support his ministry. But we see here in the text is there was a particular amount of time, probably due to their poverty or lack of resources, that they were unable to help the Apostle Paul. They were unable to give to him. But at the time of this writing, he says, you renewed your care for me, which means that they were in a place at the time of this writing to be able to once again support Paul and help him sustain uh, his life and his ministry. They did so by sending a man named Epaphroditus along with a monetary gift to Paul to support his ministry. So he says, you, renew- you were in fact concerned about me, but, re- but lacked the opportunity to show it. You know, these people They wanted to help. They had a concern for Paul. They had a concern for the things of God and for giving uh, to the mission of God, yet they lacked the opportunity to show it. In our culture, in our context, how many of us do have the means to give to the Lord, to give our best to Him, to serve the church and His mission, but we lack the concern to do so? Moving ahead in verse 11, Paul continues. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. For the Apostle Paul, in this context, contentment meant being self-sufficient, being self-sustaining, not needing anything from, the outs- from outside oneself to satisfy or to bring wholeness or to be- bring completeness. And around this time, there were also first century Stoic philosophers who did not believe in Christ and were teaching this idea of contentment and self-sufficiency and self-sustainability, but they were teaching that it was in and of yourself and who you are as a person to be content. And the resources for contentment lied in who you were. And they were not very emotional people, and they lived this life of never getting too low, never getting too high, and they felt like they could control their entire life and their circumstances solely by not showing emotion or keeping their emotions in check. So the Apostle Paul talking about contentment, you can imagine that the people in this church, they heard these Stoic philosophers and knew about 
what they had to say. But Paul said, I have learned to be content. I have learned to be self-sufficient, but it's not in and of myself. Who is it? It's in dependency on God. Dependency on God. So in verse 11, Paul wanted to make sure that the Philippians knew that he wasn't complaining, but instead he wanted them to know that contentment wasn't dependent on his external circumstances or his level of personal comfort, which begs the question, what circumstances did Paul find himself in in his life and ministry where he could say, I have learned in every circumstance, whatever circumstance, to be content? Well, how about we do this? Let's go ahead and uh, call up Uncle Paul. We'll dial 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 24. Read this. Let's read this together. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Wow. Wow. He experienced all of that. And here I am, feeling persecuted when somebody behind a keyboard criticizes me on a comment on Facebook or something like that. can never imagine what... The Apostle Paul experienced, and we get a glimpse of that here in this passage. Paul was a man who knew hardship. He knew pain. He knew suffering. He knew loss. He knew sorrow. Still, he says here, I have learned to be content. Despite that, I've learned to be content whatever circumstances. And what he's saying is, I've learned to be content, and so can you. Is contentment a learned trait? He says the word learned. Is it something that we can learn, that we can develop? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And what was true for Paul is true for you and me, that contentment is something that is developed and applied in the trials of life. And we often don't recognize our need for dependence on Jesus Christ until we face circumstances of adversity, hardship, and loss. Think about that for a second. I'll give you a personal example of what I'm talking about here. At the end of 2013... My wife and I, my wife got pregnant with our first son. Uh, his name, we named him Abel. And we were very excited about his birth and this pregnancy. And we had never been looking forward to kids before. She had never been pregnant before. And so we were just really excited about this baby and, and all. And about halfway through the pregnancy, we went to get an ultrasound to get a checkup on the baby. And he was moving around in the womb, but he wasn't growing. He wasn't growing. And we just started praying, Lord, we know you're going to see us through this. We trust you. We believe. And we went back the next week. And the same thing. He was moving around in the womb. See him on the little computer monitor. But he wasn't growing. The next week, same thing. Next week, the same thing. This went on for six weeks until we went to get another ultrasound and check up on the baby, see if there was any development, any growth. And the baby wasn't moving this time. And he had died in the womb. So my wife and I, the next day, went to the hospital. She had to deliver him. And I remember at, at that point holding Abel in my hand. He was like literally the length of my hand. Just feeling abandoned, frustrated, upset. God, where are you? I couldn't do anything to bring my son back. I couldn't do anything to fix that situation. 
And I went through a range of emotions and a range of feelings during that time. But over the weeks and months and even years since then, I personally have learned a little bit more about what it means to be content through that. And in that circumstance, I was completely helpless. I couldn't do anything to change the circumstance. It was what it was. And, you know, even though we were praying that God would help our son to live, we were expecting that he would start growing again and he would be born and be healthy. God had other plans in his sovereignty and his providential will that I don't fully understand. He did make Abel alive again. He's alive in heaven. He's alive in heaven. And, you know, God brought me to a place personally in that circumstance where I had nowhere to go, nowhere to run, nothing else I could do than simply just say, Lord, help me. Lord, I trust you. And God, ultimately, I'm dependent on you. Trials in life induce faith-building times where we see the power of God at work in our circumstances because we all face situations and circumstances in life where we know that there is no way out unless God shows up. There's no way out unless God intervenes somehow, some way. And we're going to look at four applications as we move through this text about how we can practically apply this to our lives and live with a heart of contentment no matter what our circumstances may say. And one of the ways that Paul learned how to depend on Jesus and to be content in him was through practicing a lifestyle of prayer. Practicing a lifestyle of prayer. Let's look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Paul says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When he's saying, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, what we see here is that discontentment in life often produces worry and even anxiety. But in this text, we see that the antidote to worry, the prescription for anxiety, is trusting in the Lord and living a lifestyle of dependency on Him in prayer. Because we have a promise in the very next verse, Philippians 4, 7. And the promise is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a peace that doesn't always make sense. This is a peace that sometimes we can't understand. The scripture itself says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Almost like a miraculous peace. When we trust God in prayer, even in the midst of the worst trials in life, our circumstances may be crashing down all around us. We may not even know which way is up. But we have a peace inside of ourselves from God when we surrender to him and trust him in prayer. This peace that gets us through the worst storms. This peace that helps us to trust God and his goodness no matter what. And we sing songs a lot that talk about the unending faithfulness of the Lord. And when we trust God in prayer and seek his will and seek him, even in the midst of the storms in life, we learn, maybe you can identify with this too, that God is faithful in every circumstance and that he is working it out, that he is good, and that he alone is in control. Let's move on to Philippians 4, verse 12. Paul says, I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And point number one in this sermon we've already talked about is that 
Your contentment in life is not dependent on your external circumstances. And here in point number two, it's not only no matter what circumstances we can be content, but Paul says whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, he's saying whether I have a lot or whether I have a little in life, I've learned to be content. So point number two is your contentment in life and mine is not found in your material possessions. You know, there's a very popular hip-hop artist. His name's Logic. Maybe some of you guys know him. Uh, I was scrolling through Instagram a while back, and I came across this quote that he had posted up there. And this guy's not a believer. He's not a Christian, to my understanding. Um, But he said something that I felt was very true and applicable in this text of what we're talking about today. And the quote was this. Remember, there is always someone happier with less than what you have. There is always someone happier with less than what you have. And if I would recall, it is the late philosopher and theologian, the notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, that popularized the phrase, more money, more problems. You ever heard that phrase, more money, more problems? And what I'm saying is not that it's, it's, it's not wrong to have wealth and possessions and lots of money. It's not wrong to make a nice living for yourself, to provide for your family. But where these problems arise, where it is wrong, is when this pursuit for more and more and more is the primary motivation for our lives. It's the primary reason we wake up in the morning. It's just so we can make more money or have this house or car or that thing or whatever. And that becomes our God. That becomes our idol. And in that, the statement can be very true that sometimes more money or the pursuit of it leads to more problems. And if we don't learn to be content with the little bit we have in life, we'll never be content with more. Because more never satisfies. More never satisfies. It's like chasing the wind or somebody sticking a carrot out in front of us. We can never grasp as hard as we may try. I would venture to say that prosperity even has done more harm in the lives of people and believers in the church in our context in this country than hardship, adversity, or loss ever has. Because when things are going good, the bank account's full, our circumstances are great, it's easy to forget about the Lord and to depend on Him. But when we face problems that are too great for us or we've experienced times of hardship or we don't have, we have a lack of funds or resources or we don't know maybe where even our next meal comes from, then we're on our knees praying to the Lord. And and sometimes we can treat God like He's our get-out-of-jail-free card instead of the sustainer of our whole life, whether we have much or whether we have little. And as a result of our inherent sin nature, our hearts are essentially idol manufacturers that are hard to satisfy. What's an idol, you may ask? Well, I looked it up just in the plain old dictionary. It says this, an idol is an object of extreme devotion, a representation or symbol of an object of worship. The chief end of our worship and adoration should be God and God alone. But so often, it seems like we run to all these other lesser things that we feel like is going to satisfy us or bring us contentment besides God and then becomes an idol in our life because it takes first place, the place of priority, the paramount place in our hearts instead of God. And to this, the early church father, St. Augustine, in his autobiography, Confessions, written somewhere around 400 AD, said this about God. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless 
until it rests in you. Perhaps you can identify with that. I know there's been instances in my life over and over where I felt the same thing. So how can we combat this unquenching desire for more? Well, application number two is by cultivating a spirit of generosity. Cultivating a spirit of generosity. Let's look at Philippians 4.15. Philippians 4.15, just a few verses beyond the main text that we're studying today. Paul says, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. These Philippian believers lived with a spirit of generosity as they gave to Paul to support his ministry of planting churches and reaching people for Christ and making disciples. And if you recall from the beginning of our talk today, these Philippians are people that don't have, didn't have much, most of them. But they still live with a spirit of generosity. To illustrate this, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. And here, Paul's speaking to believers in a town called Corinth of the people here in Philippi, of this Philippian church. And he says this, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia, of whom at this time the church in Philippi was one of. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to the ability and even beyond their own ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry and the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. I find this so interesting that talks about their affliction and their extreme poverty help them overflow in a wealth of generosity rooted in joy. There's an equation here I see in this passage and it's basically this. Affliction plus extreme poverty for these Philippians Affliction plus extreme poverty equals joy-saturated generosity. How can this be? How can this be? I don't know about you guys, but when if I'm facing affliction or I'm feeling like I'm in need financially or whatever it may be, I don't have a lot of resources or I'm just struggling to make it to the next paycheck or whatever, I don't often live with a spirit of generosity. And in times like that, I tend to pull back the reins, save, hoard, kind of protect myself. But for these guys, even in their affliction, even in their extreme poverty, they still had joy, saturated generosity. So how does this make sense? Why is this? How could they be joyful and generous even in poverty and affliction? Because they first devoted themselves to the Lord, as the scripture says. And here's the point. When followers of Christ, what's true for them is true for us today in 2018. When followers of Christ surrender to the Lord and are wholly devoted to God, they have no problem giving their wallet, their time, their energy, their entire being to God because they know that the Lord God is the source of their strength, the source of their sustainability. They know that He is the source of life's fulfillment. He owns it all. It's all His. We are just merely stewards of that. Looking back at the text in verse 12, 
Paul claims to have learned a secret of being content. Well, what is this secret? It's obvious that it's probably really not a secret at all if you've been tracking with me during this sermon, but we see in the text here that contentment is not found in your circumstances. It's not based upon your material possessions or wealth or lack thereof. Ultimately, your contentment in life is found in dependence on Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13 is where we get that. So Paul says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Him is Christ that he's referring to. And this verse is perhaps one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. It's one that we learn a lot of times as soon as we become a believer. We see this verse on bumper stickers, coffee cups, billboards. It's one that we know really well, but oftentimes it's easy to miss the context of what it really means. And to illustrate that, I have a couple of pictures here. So this first one is a sign. You can probably like buy this on Etsy or something. But it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It just has the verse plain, Philippians 4, 13. Let's look at the next one. This coffee cup, I can do all things through Christ and this heavenly cup of coffee. I don't know if that's necessarily what Paul meant. Uh, let's look at the next one. Okay, so this, this is a shoe of Steph Curry. If you don't know who Steph Curry is, he's an MVP basketball player for the Golden State Warriors. And a couple years ago, he signed a apparel and shoe deal with Under Armour because they allowed him to put this verse, his life verse, on his apparel and all his shoes. And if you could see it there, it says, I can do all things. And that's referring to this verse here in Philippians 4, 13. Let's look at the next one. Now, this guy is super committed, okay? He got it straight up tattooed on his chest so that every time he looked in the mirror, he can remind himself he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. All right, one more. Okay, this is a t-shirt. And if you can see, it's got the uh, cross right there. Half of it says the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The other half is a bunch of Dallas Cowboy logos, okay? (laughs) Now, maybe a little sacrilegious, but Christmas is coming. I need stocking stuffers, so you guys do the math, okay? But anyway, what, 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 what am I trying to get at by that? What's the point of me showing you those images? It's that we know this verse, we see it around, but a lot of times we miss the context. And what Paul doesn't mean here is that everything he wants to do, anything he wants to do in life, if he just prays for it, God's going to bless it and make it so. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean that we can do anything that we personally want to do because of Christ who strengthens us. If we just call on the Lord, we can do whatever. It's not what it means. But what the text really means is this. It means that we can do all things, the things that God has willed for us to do through Christ who strengthens us. God gives you strength by the power of His Son, Jesus, to accomplish His will. And it is in so doing, empowered by the Holy Spirit, when we live for God, live for His will, abide in His Word, and do the things that He commands through the power of Him alone in our lives, is where we find the secret. It's where we find true contentment, true joy, and true peace. The indwelling Spirit of Christ in the life of the believer empowers him or her to live in God's will and to do the things that God commands. And in so doing is the secret where we find this contentment. The Apostle Paul was an amazing example of someone who lived this kind of life. Paul maintained a perspective that he was living for heaven. He maintained a perspective that his reward in life was in Christ. 
And we see this in Philippians 3, verse 14, where Paul says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. For the Apostle Paul, Christ was his end game. That's who he was living for. That was his reward, and that was his focus, was focused on Christ, focused on living for eternity. Perhaps the entire book of Philippians can be summed up in one verse, Philippians 1.21, where Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does he mean by that? He means that Every day that I have to live is another day where I can make much of Christ. I can make much of him. I can tell people about him and bring glory to his name. And if I died, that would be equally as great because I would be in the presence of God forever. So he didn't fear death. Death was not something to be feared because he knew that he would be in the presence of God. Neither did he mind waking up every day and even experiencing persecution and affliction for the sake of the gospel because he counted it joy to be able to serve on behalf of God and to make much of Christ. And the same should be true for you and me. So application number three, we can cultivate this heart, contentment in Christ by prayer, a lifestyle of prayer, a spirit of generosity, and thirdly, by maintaining a focus on eternity. This life that we have is a fleeting vapor. One thing personally that I have been wrestling with so I'm getting a little bit older. I know I don't look that old, but I'm 30 years old, and my teen years, my youth, 20s are kind of behind me. I'm married now with a family, and I've been really evaluating my life and myself and what's most important in life. We don't live forever in this state and our bodies on earth. This life is very precious, and every day is a fleeting vapor. And it seems like every year that passes by, time moves faster and faster and faster. 2018 has been like the fastest year of my life. It just seems like it was over in a blink of an eye. I felt like we were just celebrating Christmas last year, like a week ago. And for me, having kids, I'm blessed to have two uh, wonderful children now, Isley and Adarin. And nothing seems like, makes time feel like it goes by faster than watching my kids grow up. If you have kids, you can relate to that as well. And here, let's look at a couple pictures again. Here's what I mean. So four years ago, this is my daughter, Isley. She was preemie. She was two pounds, 13 ounces at birth. And let's look at the next picture. Here she is, four years later, with her little sister, Adarin. And yeah, we can praise God for that. And we're celebrating her fourth birthday today after church. We're going to go home. We're going to have a little birthday party, a fourth birthday party for her. And so I've been reflecting on her life and even the past four years, and I felt like it was just like a day ago she was in the hospital in the NICU, and now she's four years old. And then next, she's going to be eight years old, and then 16, and then having kids. I'm going to be a grandparent, and then, you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Time moves fast, and it doesn't slow down, and it waits for no man. So we need to keep a focus on living in light of eternity. And so as such, I've been taking inventory of my life and asking myself some questions about what matters most. Like, how am I loving my wife? Am I teaching my kids to love, to know God? Did I take advantage of every opportunity that I had to share the gospel? One day, you and I are going to be face to face with the Lord Jesus. And the only thing that's going to matter in that moment is how well we lived for him and how well we stewarded our lives, the things that God's given us to make much of him, to live for his glory. 
So may you and I make the most of these precious days and make the most of every opportunity to live for Jesus in light of eternity. Well, today we have seen through Paul's life and that of the Philippians that true satisfaction, completeness, wholeness, and contentment is not found in our external circumstances. It's not found in our material wealth or possessions. It's found in Jesus Christ and the way that you and I personally, like once we walk out this room, can apply this teaching to our lives is by living a lifestyle of prayer, practicing a spirit of generosity, living with a focus on eternity. And lastly, we can do this by demonstrating a heart of servanthood. And thankfully, we, can, we have to look no further for the perfect example of what it means to be a humble servant than in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Paul says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Paul lived, the Apostle Paul lived with a realization of the great lengths that God went through to save him, to rescue him, to redeem his life. And Paul lived with an attitude that there was no, no amount of surrender, no amount of sacrifice that he could ever do that would ever equate to the amazing gift and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation through God. And this is so true for you and me. Paul faced incredible persecution on behalf of Christ, yet he did not waver. And he lived with joy even in that because Christ was his source. Christ was his strength. He realized that no amount of hardship, no amount of ridicule, no amount of persecution, or even the possibility of death could ever measure up to the price that Jesus Christ paid to save him. Thus, the strength that empowered Paul to live a life of sufficiency and contentment was not on his own, but it was in the strength of Christ. And the amazing paradox here is that in Paul's weakness, he was strong. And in his independence in life, only came when he was dependent on Jesus Christ. This is exactly the same for you and for me. In our weakness, it's an opportunity to make much of God and let his strength shine through. And we're only truly satisfied, truly independent, truly lacking nothing when we look to God and Christ Jesus as our dependence. And when we begin to, to comprehend the incredible riches of the grace of God that he has freely bestowed on sinners like you and me, this rich gift of eternal salvation and freedom from sin that comes from Christ, everything else in life pales in comparison. No amount of riches, wealth, good fortune, friends, health, prosperity, whatever, you name it, can grant you the hope of glory, can't provide you with true joy 
or forgiveness of sin or eternal, the hope of eternal life in the presence of God? Only Jesus Christ can. And it was Christ who lived the life that we could never live. He lived a sinless, spotless, perfect life. And he died a sinner's death on a cross that you and I so assuredly deserved. He left his throne in glory to be born like one of us. That's what we're celebrating over the course of the next month as we get ready for Christmas and anticipate that. It's this amazing gift of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that through him we can have true life and contentment and wholeness. To summarize, there's a preacher named John Piper. He's a very popular preacher, great man of God, great preacher. And he has this quote that he lives by. It's like in every one of his sermons, it's in every one of his books. And I think it really speaks to what we're talking about today. And it's this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In that Philippians 2 passage, Christ humbled himself to be a servant of all to the point of death. Therefore, God raised him up and exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. And even in his sacrifice, in his surrender, he was glorified. And the chief end of salvation from God and the free gift of salvation that he provides through Christ was not ultimately just so that we can be forgiven and have our sins forgiven and have the hope of eternity, but it's so that he can receive the glory from it, so that we can live this life that says, Lord, everything that I had in you, the only reason I'm able to even have hope of eternal life is because of your perfect sacrifice. Therefore, I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. And this is the way that Paul lived, and this is the way that you and I should live. By saying, Lord, there's no amount of sacrifice, no amount of things I could ever do on your behalf that could ever measure up to the great, amazing gift that you gave me in Christ Jesus. So I simply freely accept it, I trust it, and I commit my life to live for you all of my days. That is what the Lord requires of us. Christ is our prize. He is our reward. And when we get to the end of our lives, may we stand before our holy God one day and be able to say that our lives and the power of Christ and his strength we're devoted to making much of Christ and serving Him only and being satisfied and content in Him. And so we circle back to where we first started and that genuine gratitude, thanksgiving is rooted in contentment for when we do find our satisfaction in Christ and take Him at His word and devote our lives to, to Him, we realize just how amazing He is, how wonderful He is. And we truly come face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have an encounter with him. Our lives are changed and we can't help but say all of our days, Lord, I thank you. I give you praise. I give you glory. I live my life to show gratitude to you and to give thanks to you alone. So how can we respond uh, to this message today? Well, maybe you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior. You don't know for certain that you're going to go to heaven one day when you die. And you're hearing this word and you hear the, the Spirit of God speaking to you and you know, I need to get saved. I need to trust in Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him and live for him. I've tried it my way. It doesn't work. I've been chasing the wind. I'm ready to surrender to the will of God. My encouragement to you is to put your faith in Christ. 
How can you do so? Well, in Romans 10.9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As soon as this service is over, we're going to have a prayer team down front. Some of our pastors, I'll be down there. If that's you today, I would love to have the opportunity to pray for you, to show you how you can be saved and that you can walk out of here knowing that your sins are forgiven and that you're going to be with the Lord forever. Maybe you're here today and you have at one point or another placed your faith in Christ, but you would say, you know, I haven't been putting him first in my life. I haven't been living this life of contentment in him. I've been trying to trust in other things and I want to return. I want to come back and, and again, make God the preeminent person in my life once again. That's you. I would just can ask you to simply, where you're at, repent and believe and trust God. Say, Lord, thank you for the grace that you've given me. Thank you that my sins are forgiven once and for all. Forgive me for how I've been living a life that doesn't make much of you, that I haven't been focused on you and trusting you as my source of my life. I want to encourage you just to do that even right now, just as you are sitting there, just to pray and ask the Lord for forgiveness and trust him once again to be your soul sufficiency. But we're all together going to end with a song. I'm a worship pastor. I don't know how to end a service without singing a song. So uh, if you would, I'd like to invite you to stand up together. And I'd like to pray for you. And then we're going to sing this wonderful modern hymn of the faith in Christ alone. It talks about the gospel, the saving grace of Christ. And at the end is our response to it. The refrain says, I found my peace, I found my hope, I found my help in Christ alone. When fear assails, with darkness falls, I found my strength in Christ alone. So I give my life, I give my all, I sing this song to Christ alone, the King of kings, the Lord of all. All heaven sings to Christ alone. We're going to sing that first. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your scripture. Thank you, Lord, that you alone can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. You alone can bring true contentment to our restless souls. I pray for each person here, including myself, that you would help us to apply this word to our lives. Help us to live dependent on you trusting you, living for your glory. I pray for those people here today who are struggling, Father, maybe feeling like they're just holding on by a thread. Lord, I pray that you would meet them where they are, that you would be their comfort, their peace, and whatever storm they may be going through. Lord, help us to be wholly devoted to you. In Jesus' name I pray.